Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Revelation, and I invite you to read along with me silently in your bulletin. Please receive and hear these words from Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who were before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, pre-serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Friends, today is the last day of our seven-week series on a few of the I Am statements of Jesus. We've had heard six previous statements, things like, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And all of these statements, including today's, are meant to lead us into a deeper understanding, a deeper truth about who Jesus is. That's what every good metaphor, every good symbol, every good story, I think, is meant to do. So I'm going to tell you a story. Um, on Thursday afternoon, Adair and I drove to Nashville to see the Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks, at Bridgestone Arena, because Adair loves their music and grew up listening to them. She, so she and I, with her sister Madeline and her husband Cooper, who live in Nashville, we, we all got tickets and we were so excited. I'm not a super fan of the Chicks. Um, just so you know, I think when we were dating, I said, yeah, I love them. Um, <laughs> I like them. And I know a few of their songs. I know they did the cover of Landslide. Um, I know the Earl song, the song about Earl. Um, I know Godspeed. That's one of my favorite songs, actually. But not many more. And so Adair, Adair knows all the songs, which I didn't know until we hit 85 and then 285 uh, and 75. And by I-24... I knew that Adair was a fan. And for those of you who don't understand, we listened to the chicks the whole way, um, just so you know. By the time we pulled into Madeline and Cooper's house, there was a pre-concert dinner of, of really good pizza waiting for us, and I, I pretty much at that point knew all the songs too. So we ate dinner, we spent some time with the nephews, uh, Scott, who's five, and Mac, who's three. We did some lightsaber fights, and then the babysitter got there. And as we prepared to get into the car, to go to Bridgestone, uh, which, for which I was adequately prepared, by the way, we were notified like an hour, hour and a half before the concert that it was canceled. Oh, yeah. 
It was canceled due to illness, which is wild. Like, let us know a little bit more ahead of time, but that's okay. We, of course, were very disappointed, uh, but we, of course, made sure to keep the babysitter anyway, and we found some other things to do in the city. But lingering in my mind, in those first moments we found out we weren't going to the concert, was this question. After all we've done to get here, uh, after all we've listened to, all the things, the, the prep work, they, they aren't going to show? Are you serious? Now, I don't know, maybe you've been in a similar situation where you've been looking forward to something, you've been preparing for a concert, or maybe it's a game or a movie, or there's a family member coming into town and you've got everything ready, and then all of a sudden, an hour or two's notice, it's all canceled. You've prepped in all the right ways, you've done all the right things, and you've waited a certain amount of time, all for nothing. And it's left you thinking, maybe, after all that I did to get ready to get to this point, it's canceled, they postponed, They aren't going to show? You serious? Sometimes when I'm reading the New Testament, I get the feeling that the the early Christians had similar thoughts. (laughs) Because when you're reading the New Testament, if you read it in chronological order, in the earlier letters, you're reading notes to churches who think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like, get ready. He's going to be here maybe next week. We'll put it on the calendar. But as you read... The, the stories and the letters, you get a sense that these people are starting to understand that Jesus may not come back tomorrow. He may not come back in my lifetime as quickly as I think. And in the midst of that shift, following Jesus is not getting easier, by the way. It's getting harder. And by the time we get to Revelation, we're near the end of the first century. Most of those who knew Jesus are not around anymore. And the holy community is going through it. Rome And some others have made life a little difficult for some of these Jesus followers. But Jesus followers are still waiting for his return like he promised. And so I imagine in at least some of the churches, not all maybe, but in some to which John is writing, I imagine there's this feeling. And some are probably thinking, we've made it through so much. And after all that we've gone through, after all that we've done to get here, after all that we've done to stick with it, Jesus still isn't here. He's not going to show? Really? Now through all of John's revelation images, through symbolism, through the frightening and the complex and the kind of weird, John writes all of it to answer that question. The whole goal of revelation is to encourage these churches to remain faithful in the midst of hardship and to give them hope that this, this moment right now is not the end. All is not in vain Jesus will show up. In fact, Jesus already has the ending in hand. You can hear that goal throughout the letter, and specifically in the beginning that Connor just read for us. You can hear these titles, these phrases that identify Jesus and God in such a way as to provide comfort, grace and peace to you, the churches of Asia, from him who is and who was and who is to come. And not long after, you heard it a minute ago, our I am statement for today. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Some versions include, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end as well. Two more times, those words are spoken in Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There are also multiple mentions of I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am, I am he who was and is and is coming. These incredible Titles 
repeat again and again. And it gets a little repetitive. Of course, John Wooden was famous for saying the eight laws of learning are explanation, demonstration, imitation, repetition, 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 and repetition. John certainly uses that advice. And he repeats these simple titles again and again to drive home his point. I am the Alpha and the Omega, first and last, beginning and end, who was and is and is to come. But these these titles aren't new. You can find them in other parts of Scripture. John's not original. (laughs) You can really find them in Isaiah, actually, in the middle of Isaiah and the end of Isaiah. And the cool part is, if you get to the bottom of why these godly titles exist in the middle of Isaiah, you start to see why John included them when he did. You see, the portion of Isaiah that contains these statements is written in reflection of a very specific incident. In the 6th century BC, Judah was conquered by Babylon. The temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was in ruins, and a significant amount of folks were deported were forced to leave and to relocate in Babylon. And these exiles that we call them, they wrestled heavily with with what their plight meant. They wrestled with how this could be a part of their story. They asked questions like, where is God? Where is the God who delivered us from Egypt before? Where is our Messiah? After all that has happened, will God even bother to show up now or will he leave us hanging? I'm sure in this room, there's some of you in here who, when faced with a moment that you didn't see coming, perhaps tragedy or death or diagnosis, whatever it is, something happened, and while you've been picking up the pieces, you wonder, where is God? I thought God was supposed to show. At the end of the 6th century, somebody shows up. And it's not who they thought. King Cyrus and the Persians, they defeat Babylon, they run them out, and immediately King Cyrus decrees that all of the people who were forced to leave can go home now. You can, all, you can all go back home. And Isaiah declares that Cyrus is the Messiah and that all Judeans should view this moment as a part of God's narrative and that this is the moment of the second exodus. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Somebody showed Cyrus is God's anointed one, and this is a moment of renewal. It's a new start. And throughout this period of declaration, multiple times in this portion of Isaiah, you start to see familiar language. Isaiah 41, I, the Lord, was first, and I will be last. Isaiah 44, the Lord, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heavenly forces, says, I am the first, and I am last. Isaiah 48, listen to me, Jacob. Israel, who I called, I am the one the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What is he saying? God is saying to God's people, you can trust me. I've been here since the beginning and I'll be here till the end. I haven't gone anywhere. I was always going to show up. I am still the God who delivers and I've been working you toward that deliverance, toward freedom. I was never going to leave you hanging. After all, I am the first and the last, the beginning And the end. And frankly, that's the exact thing that John's Revelation audience needs to hear most. For these folks who are reading this pastoral letter, 
They're in the midst of Emperor Domitian's recently launched persecutions against Christians, charging them with a, a myriad of crimes. John knows that his churches are struggling to stick with it. The pressure is high. They're starting to feel like Israelites in Babylon, asking, is God going to show up? And so John writes to his churches in an effort to communicate a hope that is very similar to Isaiah. And throughout this hope letter, by the way, John writes of Jesus and of God multiple titles again and again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. These are the same words, the same titles, the same sentiments of God in Isaiah, the words of the great deliverer, the words that remind folks that a new exodus is here and the deliverer is among us, that you will be saved. Salvation is on the way. This won't be a no-show. For the Lord is the beginning and the end itself. (laughs) I love the band OK Go, mainly because of their music videos, but they have a new song that came out this past week called This, and the chorus begins with these words. Listen to this. By default... The future wins. Hmm. By default, the future wins. And in this moment and throughout Revelation, Jesus declares, I am the beginning, I am the past, and I am the future. And friends, by default, the future wins. But of course, this this phrase is not exactly like Isaiah. John adds a little bit of flair to the great titles of the one who guides history and everything in it, to the great beginning and end of the first and the last, John adds the title that is only in Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega. And yeah, it's another way of saying the same thing. But it's not. It's different. Because John is using Greek letters now. It's one thing in Isaiah when the prophet is speaking to the Hebrew people returning home and continuing their work, but in Revelation, the deliverer is not just here for the Jews anymore. The God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and Moses is no longer sticking with Hebrew letters. There are Greek letters in the picture now. The great beginning and end, the first and the last, is here for the Gentiles now. The Alpha and the Omega is here for the Greeks, for the foreign nations, for the unchosen people. And that is good news for you and for me. Of course, this new thing doesn't begin in Revelation. I would argue that the whole movement of the New Testament is a movement toward open doors. One of the biggest moments of this movement takes place in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember that? Peter, right after Peter sees a vision of a sheet with animals in it, Peter is summoned to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and he goes and he sees this this desire for repentance and for God in a crowded room filled with Greeks. And Peter wonders, how, what am I going to do now? But to a, a, a a, a packed house of Greeks, he says this, this isn't normal. Let me just, elephant in the room, this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. We don't mix with people like you. But God has just shown me that no people group, no race is better than any other. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as God says, the door is wide open. And Peter realizes that Jesus is indeed the beginning and the end and 
the Alpha and Omega. And after Peter shares the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and he baptizes them, but then he gets in trouble. Because the religious higher-ups, they get angry. They say to Peter, what have you done? What do you think you're doing? Rubbing shoulders with that crowd, eating what is prohibited and ruining our good name. How dare you? And Peter tells them everything. Tells them the whole story. And then he says, I ask you, if God gave the same exact gift to them as to us when we believed in the master Jesus Christ, what was I supposed to do? How could I object to God? There are no more boundaries for the saving work of God. God is in the process of pushing every boundary and every wall and every delineation so that all might be saved. Paul addresses this in Romans. Is God the God of Jews only? Surely not. Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is just one God, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his doors to us. (laughs) That's the message of John the Revelator in this small inclusion of Alpha And Omega, in that short title, Jesus says what it takes the whole New Testament to say, the movement of the New Testament, the whole book of Acts, it's all crowned right there. This is not a Hebrew movement or a Gentile movement. It is a universal people movement, a movement that will continue to push boundaries, to infiltrate language and subvert the status quo in order to do the work of deliverance and salvation. The Alpha and Omega has and will continue to work the deliverance of Egypt and the deliverance of Isaiah and the deliverance of Revelation in this world because God doesn't play favorites. God wants to save. God wants to save you. God wants you to know the bread of life. God wants you to have an abundant existence. God wants you to know the true vine and be connected with Jesus and all the branches. And God doesn't just want that for you or for me. But for anybody in this room, God wants it for everybody in this room and everybody outside of this room. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've come from, the beginning and the end, the true vine, the light of the world, the alpha and the omega, King Jesus is enough for anybody and for everybody. The alpha and the omega has opened a way for us, friends, His grace is sufficient, it is more than enough, and it is by his grace and no other grace that we are delivered, all of us, any who want it. For Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end, I am the alpha and the omega, and because I am the omega, the end, you can trust that I will show up, that I have already come up with the conclusion of things, rest easy, For you know the ending, I am the future. And by default, the future wins. But friends, you know the greatest thing of all? It's that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creation power of the universe, 
and the redemption at work in the world has done all of this because he loves you. And he loves me. And frankly, that's enough for me. I've got one story and then we'll be finished. Uh, There's a pastor from London who decided to take his father-in-law to Royal Albert Hall one evening to hear Handel's Messiah. By a choir, he said, of several hundreds. And of course, you know the moment, the moment that came where the famous Hallelujah Chorus was sung. And he said, everybody in that hall rose for that moment when that inspired song rose to its stupendous heights, bestowing upon Jesus those wondrous titles, not unlike those bestowed by Isaiah and John, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The choir could have just as well used beginning and end, Alpha and Omega. And the moment passed, and after that, everybody returned to their seats. And the pastor looked over, and streaming down the father-in-law's face were tears. He wrote from the clear blue eyes and coursing down his lined cheeks. And when the man recovered, he leaned to his son-in-law, and he whispered, That was my Savior they were singing about. Pastor Leslie Weatherhead says this, the world often looks as if it has gone astray. Man's heart trembles for fear at the very discoveries of power which he himself has made. Belief in God seems often on the wane and people wonder what the end will be. The Christian message, however, is that the climax of history will be worthy of the Creator that a strong hand is in control, that the string of events we call history will not end in meaninglessness or run out like a stream that loses itself in the desert, but that Christ will reign and his promise be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And who is this Lord? He is the bread of life. He's the true vine, the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the light of the world, the alpha and the omega. But friends, my favorite title of his is this. He's my savior. And he's yours too, if you'll have him. Let us pray. God, I give you thanks this morning for these wondrous titles that are bestowed upon you, upon Jesus. These titles that share just how big you are. But God, this morning, most of all, I'm thankful for the title of Savior. Because in that title, we know that we are loved more than anything and that your grace is sufficient, is more than enough for anything we could ever want or do. We're grateful.
Be with us, O oh God, in our lives. Continue to help us find you as our guide. Continue to help us feed on the, breath, the bread of life, to remain connected to the true vine, to not walk in darkness, but walk in the light of the world. And help us to remember that you are indeed the Alpha and the Omega. The doors are open to all who would enter. And you are our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.